0: That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. A Listener Production. Okay, are you recording?
1: G'day, rock stars! You are listening to episode 140 of the Howie Games, Part A, the next chapter, featuring swim star Kate Campbell. One, two, Kate Campbell now, absolutely circling the US, breathing towards so Weitzel. Weitzel breathes away. It's the grandstand finish. Kate Campbell just beginning to impose herself on the Americans. Abby Weitzel is doing everything she can. They are stroke for stroke for the gold in the final event of the women's programme. There's nothing in it between Australia and the
2: States. Gold
1: goes to Australia. That was Kate winning her fourth Olympic gold medal, that one in Tokyo, her eighth Olympic medal in title. It's quite extraordinary. This is the second time we have featured an athlete for the second time on the show, hence the title, The Next Chapter. The first edition of The Next Chapter featured racing car driver Scotty McLaughlin and Kate, who, she has certainly written another chapter or two or three or four in her story since she first appeared alongside her sister Bronte on the pod back on episode 71. That episode featured a lot of tears as Kate recounted not living up to her own incredible incredibly high standards at the 2016 Rio Games. This is an episode about how Kate rebuilt herself mentally and physically after Rio to get to Tokyo and just what is required to put such devastation, Kate's words, to put such devastation behind you.
0: So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery What is to be so much more than meets the eye, listen to me, time is your key. We find out by and
1: by. The intervening period hasn't always been an easy road and Kate talks for the first time about how she had to take control of her mental health just prior to Tokyo. A conversation I had absolutely no idea was coming. Yet another example of Kate's leadership in the community and her importance as a role model. Kate and Bronte have just released a new book, Happy Days titled Sister Secrets. It's a great read aimed at children, young teenagers, a great one to read as a family a nice Christmas present I reckon. Check it out, Sister Secrets or Alrighty, let's get rolling with the next chapter of Kate Campbell, All Round star.
0: So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed in King Selassie Come on children, trot with me We want to reach Mount Zion.
1: Welcome to the Howie Games, the next chapter, a lady that starred on this show on episode 71. She has a new book out with her sister called Sister Secrets. I'm looking forward to having a chat to her, but I need to tell her right off the top, Kate Campbell, can you please not make me cry this time, which is what you did to me last time you were on this podcast, in Coogee over Fantas with your sister and tears galore. For you, for me and for Bronte, I emotionally it was a hard one for me to get through.
3: Yeah, look, uh, when you said oh, I starred in that episode, I think you meant that I cried and I just <laughs> cried a lot. Uh, you got me at a, at a really vulnerable time, Howie. i just moved to Sydney. <laughs> (laughs) um my partner was just going back to Brisbane I was very tired and it all just came out so um look I I'm very sorry to do that to you but I think that we're in for a really good show today
1: I hope so. I, it's been one of the most downloaded and loved episodes and so many people got in touch with me during the Olympics saying, you know, we're cheering for Kate and we've, we've heard her story on the show. Before we get to the Olympics and COVID, et cetera, Sister Secrets, congratulations on the book you and your sister have done. Tell me what it's about and what was the motivation behind it and what do you hope it can achieve, Kate, you legend?
3: Yeah, so actually, I, we kind of decided to write it. I got a message on Instagram. It's how all good stories begin isn't it? Yes. A message on Instagram uh, from a teacher at a high school. And she said, oh, uh, just wondering if you uh, and Bronte had a book. I've got some young adults and uh, they really love swimming and they love sport, but they don't seem to be many books on females or, or Olympic sports. And I thought, oh, no, she's probably right that there, there aren't. Um, hey, Bronte, why don't we do a book? <laughs> and... <laughs> 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 We're going to have a little bit of time after the Olympics, so uh, why not do a book? And that's kind of where the idea started, and And this is aimed at more sort of teenagers and young adults, and it kind of goes through our journey and our story. Even though we have been through the same experiences, we've both had quite different uh, takings from that, and it's about uh, finding your individuality, your voice, uh, even when people are trying to pigeonhole you, in in separate ways and then learning to complement each other, learning to lean on each other. Uh, It's it's been a really enjoyable process actually.
1: I have read it. They sent me the uh, initial draft of where you're at at the moment. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. People should read the book. It is called Sister Secrets, Kate and Bronte Campbell. It is a cracker for anyone with young people out there trying to achieve some success in their lives, which is hopefully what this podcast is about as well. All right. Kate Campbell, I'm going to play you some audio and it runs for about two minutes and it comes from the last time you were on this show. It is, I think, important to go back and listen and then we can frame the discussion about how your three years has been since you joined me on the Howie Games. Are you ready to listen to yourself?
3: It's probably one of my least favourite things but (laughs)
1: let's do it. I'm going to make you for two minutes. (laughs) So a really tough question, which this show doesn't typically do. What are you doing or what have you done mentally that if you're in that position again, say Tokyo, there'll be the next Olympics, that what happened last time doesn't happen again and how are you going to shut that out of your mind that it happened last time? It's a brutal question.
3: It is and there will always be that fear. Because you're you're in a position where you're vulnerable and and fear is a natural response. But I had spent so much of my life um, seeing value in myself through the eyes of other people, and often to do with my swimming achievements, um, that I've kind of had once once I hadn't achieved things and people still saw something in me. I was like, oh, maybe this. A little more to me than than the person in, in the swimming pool and so i've stepped back and i've i've kind of i've identified some key values and and things that i can take into any situation that are not outcome dependent so when i went into rio my self-worth and my value in myself was dependent on me achieving a goal um, which was an olympic gold medal because that's what everyone else wanted from me and that's how i saw value in myself And there was only one way to do that, was to win. But now when I go into any situation, what do I value in myself and what do I value in other people? Um, I value kindness. My kind in every situation that I go into? Can I be kind to the people on my team, to my competitors? Um, Can I be kind to myself? Um, I value bravery. Can I go into a situation and will I be brave? And standing behind a starting blocks at an Olympic final is one of the bravest things you can do.
1: So it was three years ago, Kate Campbell. (laughs) What do you reckon?
3: Yeah, uh, I think that I lived up to the expectations that I have of myself and it's a really wonderful feeling.
1: Brilliant. Congratulations on your Olympic campaign. Um, Some tremendous success both in the pool and obviously as a person, a bronze medal, two more gold medals, eight time medalist at the Olympics now. But before we get to the Olympics, we had a conversation ooh, 14, 15 months ago about, about podcasting actually. We had a chat mm-hmm. and I had a brief chat with you then about how you were dealing with COVID and how that was affecting your preparations. When did you start to realise that this situation that the world is still in was going to affect your training and then potentially affect your great dream to get to the Olympics in 2020, which, of course, never occurred?
3: I felt it affect my Olympic dream from the moment that I heard that the Olympics were postponed.
1: Right. How did you get that news?
3: I actually got it in a text message. I was standing in line at, at a supermarket and I looked down at my phone and we'd kind of heard little grumblings that there was perhaps the the fact that the Olympics were going to be postponed. And I, and I looked down and it's one of those flashbulb memories where you can remember exactly where you were. Um, and it, I, I immediately called um, my coach Simon and Bronte and we all just got together. But I, I really felt because in that text message, it also said, we've lost all access to all training facilities. Uh, Australia's going into a lockdown. And so it really slammed the brakes on all the momentum that we had been gathering and building in. Uh, This this Olympic preparation uh, for last year was the first time that I'd kind of really focused on a four year preparation as opposed to a year by year trying to be the best and, and and maintain being the best in the world i kind of let let that standard slip so that so that i could uh, be at my absolute best for july 2020 as we now know it ended up being yeah. july 2021 so i and, and i f- felt like all of that just kind of ground to this halt and everything stops. And when you're in the world of elite sport, you get used to constant movement all the time. There's always the next thing. There's always the next training. But we we were out of competition uh, competitions. We were out of training facilities and, I, and we were about to be scattered all across the country as we went back to respective uh, home states for lockdown. So I really felt in that moment that something drastic had happened and uh, we we spent eight weeks in complete lockdown so didn't get in the water for eight weeks which is the longest of kind of my my whole life really. Uh,
1: how was that for you? how was the eight weeks to take me through the mm. the stresses of that Olympics hanging over you and you can't do what one you love and what two you need to do to prepare
3: you it was kind of you were stuck in this in, in this, awkward point where you want to keep driving and pushing forward, but now you've got 18 months to an Olympic Games, not six months. So you have to pace yourself. But then also wanting to take a rest and take a break because mentally you're flat and you've got no motivation to push yourself forward. So you, you're kind of wrestling with with two sides of yourself and uh, we set up uh, sort of Zoom spin bike sessions three times a week so we could get on a spin bike and, and still be part of our squad three times a week, but we were kind of scattered all around Australia and that was our, our main contact. And um, it, it, was, it was scary not having a, a clear goal to focus on and people to surround yourself with. You know, swimming such an individual sport, but I really learned during that time how much I rely on the team environment uh, and the squad environment. So uh, I was staying at a house with four housemates, so I just bullied all of them into doing exercise with me because <laughs> they didn't want to do it by themselves.
1: <laughs> I think when we spoke Were you in the middle of, you were. did you have a chin-up bar or something set up
3: and we were discussing the number of chin-ups that were
1: being punched out in your
3: household? Yeah, I I set up a chin-up bar in my backyard. Um, I went to Woolies and got like 10 litre bottles of water and used them as weights (laughs) and um, got got very creative and set up a couple of of circuits in the backyard. I bullied all my housemates into lunchtime Pilates sessions. They left (laughs) lockdown in the best shape of their lives. (laughs) (laughs) And what about
1: you? What shape did you live in did you have did you have those moments when you're lying in bed thinking wow I've normally done this many kilometers this week and and I've done this session and I know that's going to help me here like how are you dealing with that mental stress of the fact you weren't preparing as you would typically prepare Mm,
3: I think I was in a perpetual state of frustration because I went from being in the best shape of my life, honestly, the best shape I've ever been in. Uh, Injury-wise, I'd had a really good run. Uh, Training wise, I'd had a really good run. Competition wise, I'd done a lot of competing at the back half of 2019. So I was in the best physical and probably mental state that I've ever been in. And I just watched that slip away from me just day oh. by day because it's it's an unrealistic expectation to think that I'm going to maintain that level of strength and fitness and conditioning when I'm used to spending four or five hours a day in a swimming pool with of a squad course. and a coach to keep me accountable and then you're stuck at, at home. Uh, and I just I just watch it kind of slip away and it's um, I've been chasing it ever since.
1: <laughs> right. So... When you come out of it, talk me through. We'll get to the games. Talk me through your lead up and the preparation and and how you gathered it up again, Kate, physically and mentally.
3: Yeah, it was. Um, I'm just going to put a little side note in here, Howie. Please do. Um, I'm going to disclose something that I haven't told anyone. Um, I'll I'll probably be sharing it publicly in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Um, but. Because because it'll have been shared publicly, yes. I, I'm I'm happy to, to chat about it now. Um, okay, but just yeah, it's just a side note in there. Thank you. Um. So get, getting back, um. So kind of once once lockdown ended and, and we were heading back to to training and uh, we we knew that there was an Olympic starting date. Uh, at this point, you kind of you take everything with a little grain of salt, but at least we we've got somewhere to go. Um. It was incredibly challenging. I faced uh, physical challenges. Uh, My body, uh, which I've been ignoring all the signals it's been sending me for many years, uh, really liked the eight weeks out of the water. It was like, oh, (laughs) this feels really good. Um, You know that swimming thing that you've been doing for all your life? that makes us feel really bad and we don't want you to do it anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> it just kind of like threw up all these red flags for for, for me to get into. Um, but kind of towards um, sort of July and August, I uh, was diagnosed and suffered quite badly from depression. And it's something that I have you know, really struggled to come to terms with that. It's something that I went through, and it because I'm used to being okay, or I'm used to being able to push through things. And uh, I have always been a big advocate for mental health, and I've never thought badly of anyone or judged anyone yep. for coming forward with their mental health struggles. But suddenly, when it was my turn, I couldn't have that same. Kind of compassion for myself, so I was kind of fighting on two fronts. I was fighting my body, which didn't want to get back in the pool, and my mind that had probably just kind of taken a, a really big hit and was coming to, to terms with with how to to manage that and and get over it. Um, I, I started uh, working with a clinical psychologist and. Uh, It was a really, really challenging moment when I decided that how I was feeling was not okay and that I needed help. Uh, But it was almost a relief to go in and start getting help. And the the way that I kind of rationalized it in my brain was I was like, you have to view this because everyone says you have to view uh, mental health or mental ill health like you would a physical injury. I'm like, I'm just going and seeing a physio for my brain. It's okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. And that's kind of the, the, the rationale that, that I took when going in. And um, I think that it's, it's really important to be able to, to do the, the, the work and the skills that, that the psychologist gives you. And I was really, really willing to do all that work. Um, however, By the time it came round to Olympic trials, so this is um, kind of June 2021, things were still not right and I'd done everything in my power to make sure that I was in the best mental state possible and... Describe,
1: I'm sorry to hear that you went through that, obviously. Thank you. Describe what was not right, if you can, if you're willing to share that, what, what wasn't right for you, Kate.
3: So I'm usually a pretty happy, a pretty relaxed yes. person. Uh, that that is my personality. But I bubbly,
1: smiley, vivacious would be the words I would use. Exactly, except yep. when I'm
3: crying on your podcast. Yes, uh,
1: yes, yes, <laughs>
3: yes. yes. Um, and I, I felt that side of myself completely slipping away. Um, and I would go through periods where all I would want to do was cry and my emotions would sit so close to the surface. And I'm not, I'm not a big crier. Um, I'm, I'm not someone who feels down a lot of the time, but everything in life became an effort like getting out of bed and going to the pool became an effort and little things could completely set me off. I remember Bronte accidentally saw my parking space one day and I just started crying and I just sat in the car and I was just like, "What?" firstly, what is wrong with you, which is not a good thing to be thinking um, Um. when you're already feeling so bad. Uh, And I think that it, when I describe what depression was like for me, it was like being stuck inside your head, with all the worst thoughts you've ever had about yourself. And those are the only things that your brain is feeding you, Was is that you're weak, you're pathetic, you're not strong enough, you should be able to do this, you have a very good life, what's wrong with you? Why are you upset? Uh, you're living the dream, all of these things, and you can't break out of that. I think that there's Everyone has negative thoughts and everyone has doubts and those are normal and natural, but you can break out of that mm. vortex and that cycle. But when you're stuck in there, it becomes exhausting and you start to believe the things because if you think something often enough, then it's what you become uh, begin to believe.
1: And, and so were these, were these thoughts, when you said the, the worst things about yourself, what were? Well, the majority. I, I didn't want to speak to you about the competitive side of your life. I don't want to cross into areas we shouldn't be talking about. But but the stuff we talked about with with Rio and and performance, and when you hadn't met your own expectations, was that the genesis of the thoughts and concern about that again, or were these other things going on in your life that that we don't need to touch on?
3: I I think it was was a little bit of everything. Um, I. I had moved to Sydney and I was really struggling with loneliness there uh, and had really struggled to make connections and meet people. I, I don't have a regular nine-to-five job. No. And, <laughs> and You're I always train
1: underwater and following that <laughs> bloody black line, as we've discussed before.
3: Doesn't leave much time for conversation. Uh, <laughs> I used to train every Friday night, so Friday night drinks is well off the table. Um, so I'd, I'd really struggled to make friends and real connections with with people in Sydney. Uh, And normally I'm someone who's pretty friendly and, and who enjoys spending time with people. So I think that I'd already been feeling incredibly isolated. And then I went back to Brisbane for the lockdown, uh, that, that we had in kind of March 2020, spent time with friends and family up there and then relocated back down to Sydney to prepare for the Olympics. And it was kind of the, the moving back, the removal from friends, family and support network that, I, that combined with the setbacks that I was facing physically in the pool, uh, the uncertainty of the future. Uh, I think all of those things, were uh, played a big part but then ultimately some people just don't know you know sometimes there is no reason why uh these these sort of times happen and I think that um I I now probably know the warning signs and will catch myself a lot earlier and uh if I'd caught myself earlier before maybe maybe it wouldn't have got as bad or as dark as it did
1: Back to Kate in a moment. Next up on the show, statistically the greatest V8 driver in the history of the Caper, Jamie Winker. With seven, seven, I say, championships to his name, it's hard to remember back to a time when Jamie wasn't a dominant force on track. But there was a time when Jamie wasn't considered good enough and was sacked.
2: He said, hey, we're, g- we're going to move you on at the end of the year. Um, and I held it together during the meeting, of course. I'm not one – I don't cry much. I, I, rec- <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I've, I've cried a dozen times in my life, you know, but uh, that hit me hard. I, I w- went out to my car in the car park and, uh, yeah, sort of uh, te- teared up for, a, for, for 10 minutes mm. or so and, and, and got, it, got, got the shock and the frustration out of, um, hey, I, I, what am
1: I going to do next? So what did you do next?
2: Uh, worked harder so you know dad always taught me that if you're if you've been pushed into a corner or you're in a situation you don't like fight your way out you know work, work harder and fight fight your way out of out of the situation to make it better so um, I'm not much of a salesman you know I don't I hate trying to sell myself um, Which is a big,
1: I, a big part of your sport when you're a kid. Like, you, yep. if someone has to believe in you, you have to convince people in your caper, don't you? You do you do
2: you have to? You have to sell yourself. Um, you don't have to be all up front and arrogant about it, but you have to certainly try to try to sell yourself in some way. So I, yeah, I did the. It was tough, but ringing up the team owners and all I did was just started. I just need a test. I need to get in. I need to get an opportunity to get in someone's car and do two. Even if it's two laps, I just need that opportunity to. I I had a I had a lot of self belief. I knew I was I knew I was good enough.
1: That's Jamie Winkup up next on the show. Let's get back to Kate. Again, I'm really sorry to hear that this is something you've been going through with everything you've had to prepare for physically for your job as well. Um, and you, as you always do, Kate, you've put it so eloquently um, and described it beautifully. Before I rudely interrupted you before, you were talking about going into the trials and mm. you just used the word dread.
3: Yeah, and, you know, everyone, when you are a swimmer or a high-performance athlete, you train to compete. So we we train to race because no one trains to train because that's just boring. And I came into these Olympic trials and I felt all I could feel was this overwhelming sense of dread and I felt like I'd lost Confidence in myself. I think that what really shook me about the the diagnosis uh, at the end of 2020 was that the things that I'd thought about myself, I suddenly wasn't sure of. And I've 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 been able, you know, particularly since since Rio, I've I've done a lot of mental work, and I'd really come to see that as a strength. And suddenly, I felt like that had been completely stripped away from me. And coming into into those trials. Um, I did not want to race. I, I, the, I used to fantasise about getting uh, a fatal injury so that I wouldn't have to compete. Um, if I was driving my car, I'd think, man, if I just turned into that light pole and had a car crash, then that's an easy way out. Like people would understand why I don't have to go to the Olympics and why I don't yeah, have okay. to stand up and compete. And I kind of, as, as I progressed through the trials, um, and I've, I've done a lot of work, I, I still had been seeing um, my psychologist, I'd done meditation courses, I'd been working with a sports psych and using all the tools that they'd given me, but it wasn't enough. There was something deeper that that needed addressing. And I made the decision after I had managed to qualify for the Olympics on on the last night um, that I needed to go and seek some medical help. And I booked in to see my local GP and um, asked her to (laughs) prescribe me or asked her to discuss the possibility of of using some anti-anxiety and antidepressant medication. Now, this is four weeks before the Tokyo Olympic Games and the medication takes three to four weeks to kick in. But I really just felt like there, there was something else going on and part of me was so ashamed about going in and asking for medical intervention because I'd approached this depression and this mental ill health in the same way that I approached training you know, or, or rehabbing an injury. If I do the work, it will get better and I can get over it. Uh, but I'd done the work and there was something still wrong. Now, now that I, and, and I, I started the medication and from about three weeks in, I began to just feel, I began to feel this, this mental fog lift and kind of this clarity and, little glimpses of, of who I am and, and who I was as a competitor begin to come back. And fortunately, I, I, I believe that it really kicked in in time for me to be able to compete and to really perform at my best. But I think that if or I, probably my biggest regret is that I didn't go and seek help earlier because how I feel now compared to how I was feeling, you know, six months ago is, is completely different. And I think that, um, it's, it's something that, that I've really had to come to terms with. And look, if I think about it rationally, now that I can think rationally, um, uh, depression is a chemical imbalance in your brain. And sometimes it's naive and it's ignorant and it's arrogant to think, that I can fix a chemical imbalance in my brain by breathing and thinking positive thoughts. You know, yeah. we we shouldn't we shouldn't feel ashamed of having to seek that that medical help and that intervention. And I guess that it's something that I've really learned a lot about, and something that I'd really like to normalise.
1: Two questions off the back of that. See, so this is the. Um This is the beautiful thing about you, Kate Campbell, is that you've sat there and brought this up and talked about it in detail and knowing you a little bit as I do, being the caring person you are, you are telling that story, that personal story in depth because you think it can help other people. And I've got no doubt that's why you're doing that. And that is why you are who you are.
3: Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Yeah, I don't, I don't want this to be a pity party no, or, or, or 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 me providing excuses. That's that's not not what this is about. Um, in fact, I'm I'm now happy to say I'm incredibly proud of the career that I've managed to put together. Um, an individual Olympic gold medal isn't in my repertoire, but I have world championships and I have Olympic individual medals. I have. Olympic gold medals as part of relay teams, and I've been a valued member of that. Um, so I, I don't want anyone to think that I'm making excuses or, or asking for pity. I, I am sharing this more just because I wish that if I'd known about more high-profile people struggling with things, that I would have maybe reached out for help a little bit earlier than I did, or recognize that that things weren't right and that it was okay to reach out for help because we, we tend to look at really successful people and think that they have it all together and they have something that we don't. Yes, uh, we do. But we're all human just, just like the rest of you and we're all going through things and I am just really fortunate to have a platform to, to share that message. And, you know, if, if that helps just, just one person, then, then I hope that that's a good thing.
1: It's a wonderful thing. How on earth did you get through the Australian trials? Because this could have been a very different story if the headline was Campbell fails to qualify for the Olympics. Yes. Knowing what you put into this, how did you get get yourself to that position.
3: Making history with her fourth Olympic team. She's a five-time Olympic medalist from Beijing, London, and Rio. Please welcome Kate Campbell. That was probably the most difficult week of my life. Uh, I was fighting every natural instinct that was telling me to run in the opposite direction. To drop off the grid, to never be heard from again, uh, trying to find ways that 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 I could get out of this situation that I'd found myself in, um, and I guess that I I'm very lucky in that uh, I have a great coach and and he could see that I was really struggling um, and was able to to help me through it. Um, I obviously had had Bronte as well close by, but I, oh, I just had to do it, you know. I even, I think that we sometimes attach too much to how we feel, and even though I was feeling all of these things and it was almost overwhelming, I just had to keep going and keep doing. Um, it was not a pleasant experience at all. It was horrible and... That was probably the thing that that really made me realize that that I needed to to get some more help was I've I've always enjoyed competition. It's mm. always nerve-wracking. Like the nerves are always there. For people who think that someone looks calm behind the starting block of, of or going out and walking on any field, it's a complete lie. Everyone is absolutely shitting themselves. We are all mm-hmm completely terrified. But this was more than nerves. This was like a sense of dread and impending doom. And it took all the joy and the excitement out of it. Uh, and it was like that realization that when I got out of that swimming pool, um, I said, I, I literally said, I never want to be here ever again. And once I said those words out loud, I was like, oh, there's, there's something wrong because this is, this is not how I feel about, about this sport.
1: Did you say that to yourself or did you say it to someone? I said it to my coach. Right. How'd that go with the coach?
3: <laughs> he said, oh, it's okay, just go on down. You'll probably feel differently <laughs> later.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so did you, did you, with the with the backdrop you'd painted when you qualified, so you'd succeeded in that part of the Olympic mission.
2: Brody Campbell's not far away either. The who could be taking this. They're coming. It's going to be very close. The key is just in front. You'll get third, she's there for the relay. Kate Campbell will be able to take that shot and a gold medal in Tokyo. She's on the plane.
3: She's got the swim.
1: Was there any joy? Was there any happiness? Was there any relief? Or was it still just, oh no, 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 no?
3: There was terror because I knew I was gonna to have to do it again in five weeks' time. On the world um, stage. On the world stage, in front of more people in a bigger spotlight.
1: With let's and... be honest, with let's be let's be honest, Kate, with the Australian public going. Mm-hmm can Kate Campbell improve her performance from what happened in Rio?
3: Exactly, exactly. Ooh, gee and whiz, that's,
1: yeah, that's um, pressure of a whole nother level, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah, and it was it was pure terror. It was, I've made this team, what have I done? Why have I done this? And you must remember, like, I love going to an Olympic Games. Like I love representing my country. I, I I don't want people to to listen to this and be like, oh, well, she shouldn't have been there because I, you know, and, and I knew that somewhere deep down inside me uh, in that rational part of my mind that I did, you know, and, and that's why I kept pushing forward. But I also knew that there was there was something deeper going on, um, and that if I'm if I'm feeling this way about something that I know that I love, uh, that maybe it's 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 time to to get some medical help,
1: which you did as which you I described, did. and it had an effect on you. What was your thoughts going into the games, putting aside where you were physically and mentally going into this games that? was going to happen, wasn't going to happen, no crowd there. Like you get on the plane to go, how full-on was the Olympic experience prior to competing with the modern world in which we live? Like like no Olympics you've ever been to or none of us have ever watched before.
3: No. I think, I think the best word to s- describe probably the whole experience was surreal uh, and I think that everyone at every point in the journey, looked at each other and thought, is this actually happening? Because so many of us have made so many plans over the past 18 months that <sighs> haven't happened, that have changed, you know, that that have been thrown completely out the window. And so when we boarded that aeroplane to fly to Japan, everyone just looked at each other and thought, are we actually going? Is this actually happening? And, and then we landed and... We walked into the Olympic Village, which even I- with all the COVID restrictions is still unlike any other place on earth. And it was funny. It was, I recognized it immediately uh, as the the Olympic Village. It, it has this feel and this buzz about it, um, even to the point like the pillows have a certain smell. So when I lay <laughs> down on the pillows, I was like... Oh yeah. I know <laughs> the smell. <laughs> I've been here before. <laughs> and were the were the beds really cardboard setups that, that we were reading about? The beds were really cardboard setups. Like they had mattresses <laughs> on them. So oh, I don't know, like everyone can relax. We weren't sleeping on okay. cardboard. Um, so they were
1: comfortable enough.
3: Yeah, yeah, they, they were comfortable enough. And uh, no one broke theirs as as far as I'm aware. And we've got some pretty big boys on the team mm. and uh, you know, s- some even bigger athletics guys who, you know, shot putters or, or weightlifters or what have you. So they were very sturdy. Uh, but yes, made of cardboard. So you, you wouldn't wanna you'd you'd really hope that you were over your bed wedding stage. By that <laughs> point in time, because uh, it could have gone really bad.
1: <laughs> so the the opening ceremony, and um I, is it about you? But I sat there when it was announced that it was you and Patty, and I immediately thought, mm, episode seventy one of the show, episode ninety six of the show. Nice, we are being represented by both flag bearers <laughs> on the on the Howie Games. How'd you find out? Because I love this, I love the find out story that you're going to get given the biggest honour in Australian sport, which I think that's what it is.
3: Yeah. I'm delighted to announce the flag, bearer. the flag
1: bearers for the Australian Olympic team for Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games are Kate
2: Campbell and Patty Mills.
3: I, uh, Ian Chesterman, who's the Chef de Mission, uh, he sent me a message and said, oh, Kate, can I give you a call? And I don't know why, but when anyone says, oh, I'd like to talk to you. And whenever someone says, I'd like to talk, I was like, oh, no, what have I done?
1: <laughs> this is exactly like, what Lauren Jackson said. Exactly. She thought she was getting in trouble for something.
3: I thought I was getting in trouble. I was like, I was like sure, Chesty, uh, like, just give me, a, give me a call now. And he gave me a call and said, I, I would like you to be one of the flag bearers. And it's one of those moments that you just think, really, me? Um, why, you know, and it's such, such a huge honor. And, uh, he said, you know, you'd, uh, it, it would, it would be, he said, it would be my great honor if you would do it. And I was like, no, 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 Chesty, like the, mm. the honor is mine. you That's the way it goes. Um, But I I said, look, can can I think about it for a couple of days because uh, swimmers don't attend the opening ceremony because we compete the following day. This was
1: my next question. This was my Mm. next question. It's like the world's, sorry, Australia's biggest honour they can bestow Will this affect my performance in the pool? Like, how do you judge? So, it took you a couple of days, did it?
3: Yeah. So I just said, like, can can I have a chat to my coach about it? Can uh, I talk to the Australian head coach about it, and and get back to you? And he said, sure. You've you've got a couple of days. So, in in a. <sighs> In a fortunate turn of events for me, maybe not for the swimmers, uh, the swimming program was kind of flipped on its head. So we had heats at night and finals in the morning. In a usual program, we would have heats in the morning and finals at night. Now, the opening ceremony was on the 23rd of July Mm -hmm. that night, and the heats of the 4x100 freestyle relay were to be swum on the 24th So the following night. Night, yep. So I had qualified as an individual swimmer for the 100 metres and we kind of take enough people if we have enough depth in the event so that we can swim a heat team and then rest a couple of people for the finals team. And I I had a chat to Simon and uh, head coach Rowan and he said, look, we would be really happy and comfortable to rest you and swim you in the final, which would mean swimming on the morning of the 25th. So I would have kind of a full 24, 36 36 hours hours. or so to to recover and get better Um, and, you know, I mean... And ultimately, and so I, I, I had a good think about it, and they said, we're going to get you into the stadium as close to your walkout as possible. As soon as you finished, we're going to put you on a bus and get you back to the village. And... It would, it would be maybe a four-hour commitment, which is, is what it ended up being. Uh, Rowan Taylor, the head coach, then went uh, to Kmart and got me a little chair so that at every point where we stopped and waited, I sat down on my chair to rest my legs. I read about this. <laughs> I, re- I wanted to ask you about that. So that wasn't just uh, one of those Olympic rumour stories. That was true. <laughs> no, no, I, I went along and, and Simon uh, got to come to the opening ceremony uh, with me as, as one of the few officials who were allowed to march. And he was the official chair bearer, so he <laughs> carried my chair everywhere. Um, it, it made me feel completely useless. Um, but I can tell you what: by the end of the night, there were a lot of very jealous-looking athletes who were watching me, thinking she had the right idea about this because it's a lot of standing around.
1: <laughs> so what? What was it like when they announced Australia and you and the great man Paddy Mills walk out with your country's flag, Kate? Australia.
0: Australia.
2: Well, we've waited a long time, like everybody else, and it, have a look how strong that team looks. 63 from so many sports, the whole of the basketball contingent behind Paddy Mills and Kate Campbell making a statement here by deciding, yes, I'm going to carry this flag. So these two great Australians at the head of this wonderful team, there is just so much optimism surrounding it. So
3: You know, it was almost a really sobering moment walking out into the stadium. Uh, It made me appreciate how lucky we were to be at an Olympic Games. So uh, it had been announced two weeks before the Olympics that because of the state of emergency and, and the COVID situation in Tokyo, that there would be no crowds allowed at these Olympics. But... As all the buses left the Olympic Village to go in a convoy to the stadium for the opening ceremony, the Japanese locals lined the streets and they waved and they cheered and they had little signs for us. And you could you could really feel the Olympic spirit and the atmosphere just shining through their faces as they cheered us. And then Patty and I walked out into an empty stadium hmm. and it was a... A moment where I just thought, wow, so many people have sacrificed so much for us to have this moment. Because part of the joy of an Olympic Games, part of the joy of hosting an Olympic Games is. Going and being there and witnessing these moments in history, uh, people in Sydney yes. still talk about yes. where they were when they watched an event live, or which events they went to, or they still have their volunteer uniforms that that they volunteered in, and it it, it made me realise that it, it wasn't just you know uh, a monetary sacrifice that. Japan had made to put these on but there was there was a, a human sacrifice and a human cost as well and yeah it was it, I just felt tremendously grateful to Japan and the Japanese people as we walked across the, the arena
1: that's the end of Kate Campbell part A don't be missing Part B.
3: Listen